Before we open up God's word, I'm sorry I already had you be seated. I'll have you get up again and turn to the people around you and say good morning, and then we'll take out our Bibles. All right, as, as you are seated, and, and I think, have I told you this before, that you're the friendliest of the three services? <laughs> have, I to, have I told you that? Uh, I, I, I think I may have told another service that one week. I don't want you to think that I'm, I'm cheating on you or anything. I have to be careful because this one's recorded. You can go back to the 930 and see if I say the same thing to everybody else. But seriously, I don't think any of the other services, the people from the back come up to the front. I, 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 think, I think that's unique here. And so praise God. Um, if you would, please open up your Bibles and join me this morning in Luke chapter 12. That's where we're going to be spending some time. Um, our reading starts at verse 13, but we're actually going to begin at verse 1 as we go through this together. And that's what we're doing. That's why we greet one another as we open up God's word. It's a reminder to us that we are not alone. Not only does God speak through these words, but he speaks to us as we are gathered here together. And so we begin our reading in Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Somebody in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I shall do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain stored up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Many of you, especially those of you here at this service, at the early service, you, you remember Nona Grunseth. Show of hands, how many of you remember Nona Grunseth? Nona was the one who held for many years the distinguished title as the oldest living member of St. John's Lutheran Church. That's how she introduced herself to me when I came. That's how she would have introduced herself to you if you visited for the first time. She would have told you that. And in, in 2017, Nona passed away. She was 96 years young. And, and I say that um, because her spirit exuded that. And, and one of the ways it was what most people remember about Nona and is that was not just that, that she had joy um, but that every time you would see her, especially in church, she prepared by sharing a joke. Remember her jokes? 
Now, here was the thing about Nona's joke. She always had a joke on Sunday morning. Sometimes it was the same joke as last Sunday, but she laughed anyway because it was still funny. And one of them that she told over and over again, I remember early on, was this one. It was about, and I thought of it as I was reading our scripture today. It was about a man. He had worked his whole life, and he was a saver. He saved all his money. That was his most important thing was his money. And he got very old, and he, he knew that his, his time of passing was near, and so he made his wife promise. He said to her, I, the most important thing to me all of life has been my savings, and I want you to promise to put all of my life savings in the casket with me when I die. And she said, okay, and she agreed, and he passed away, and she had told her best friend that her husband had asked her to do this, and they were sitting at the funeral, and sure enough, she took out a box that said life savings, and she placed it in the casket. And, and Gary, I'm glad you're laughing. The, the, the wife's friend who knew all about this was sitting next to her, and she said, you can't be serious. Did you actually do what your husband asked? And she said, I sure did. I'm a good Christian woman. He asked me to do it. I said I would. I'm honest. And she said, I can't believe you did it. She said, here's what I did. I took every penny that he had in life savings. I put it in my checking account. I wrote him a check. <laughs> I put it in a box. <laughs> and I put it in the casket. <laughs> Might sound crass, but there are no ATM machines six feet underground, are there? There's no way to deposit a check where you're going. You cannot direct deposit your salary into the afterlife. Do you know what the inflation rate is today in heaven? It's 0%, which also happens to be the same interest rate on debt in heaven because there is no debt in heaven. Today is the final Sunday in our series, Seasons, and this is the way that we're beginning. We're, as I said before, we're going to end the, season, the series on Seasons on Wednesday, but today's the last time we're going to be in Luke's Gospel, and we've talked about childhood, we've talked about parenting, we talked about youth, we, we, we talk, today we're talking about retirement, and we're kind of summarizing it, I believe Jesus is here, in seeing the way in which the Gospel speaks wisdom and truth and hope into every season of life. Now, we're backtracking. If you were with us last week, we talked about the prodigal son. More, more accurately, we talked about the father who has two sons. And today, we're talking about a story that Jesus tells to a crowd of people who have gathered. And so I told you we're going to start at verse 1 of chapter 12, and we're going to make our way to our reading that we read just a few minutes ago. So take a look with me at verse 1. It says this, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so that, meanwhile, a when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling over one another. I'm actually going to stop right there because that kind of sets the scene for us. And it made me think, maybe because it's this particular week, is, is Black Friday shopping still a thing? Uh, show of hands, does anybody go Black Friday shopping? 
Okay, no, nobody, nobody online, all of you are the ones that go Black Friday shopping, I'm sure, because nobody here does. I'm actually glad, glad to hear that, because I kind of, I kind of wondered, like, here's, here's a picture, right, of one of those Black Friday massive mobs busting through the doors of your favorite store. I, I did this once. I went with my sisters. I think it was before we even had kids. I did it one time. We got up really early and we went out and it is the first and the last time. I don't think I even bought anything. It was enough. And, and, and today, I know some people still do this. Clearly, they don't go to the 8 o'clock service at St. John's Lutheran Church. Um, but, but I know some do and I know many don't because there are sales but there's online shopping and there's same day shipping and there's supply chain issues and so the mobs are a little bit more difficult to find and yet the mob is what I think about when I think about what's happening here with Jesus. You've got this mob mentality going on. It's this thousands of people that are gathered and, and it's not organized. There's a warning that Jesus is going to give those who are listening about it. Look again at verse 1. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousand had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. And he said this, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Jesus looks out at this crowd that's trampling over one another for the latest deal on a Furby or a sweater or an iPhone or a TV and he thinks to himself, this reminds me of something. This reminds me of yeast, which sounds a little weird if you don't know the significance of yeast in the scriptures, but yeast is actually a rich illustration that throughout many places in the Bible, is used to describe most often, not always, but most often, sin or corruption. Does, does anybody like to bake bread here, show of hands? Okay, so you don't, you don't go Black Friday shopping, but you bake bread, so that's good. So maybe this will be a little bit uh, easier to, to, to relate to. Um, if you don't know, and I don't bake bread, so I had to do a little research, yeast is a cellular organism, it's alive, and so you add it to your ingredients. It eats sugar and starch. Uh, one of the articles that I read said that it is literally known as the sugar-eating fungus. Does that make you hungry? Right? Well, the byproduct should make you hungry because what happens is it grows. It grows into things like bread or it ferments into things like Wine And it's a rich image. Even today, Jewish people observe the Passover by removing all traces of yeast from their homes as they remember the way in Exodus that God delivered them from slavery, the unleavened bread. Sin is also referred to as slavery, right? Not just yeast, because like yeast, sin grows inside of us, and eventually, like slavery, it takes over our lives. It rises in us. It ferments our perspective. It overwhelms our world. And so Jesus is looking out at this crowd, this Black Friday crowd, and they're trampling over one another, and he thinks, yeast. He thinks, yeast, because there's something in the crowd that's toxic. There's something in the crowd that's viral. There's something in the crowd that, if they're not careful, is going to take over 
everyone. It's the yeast of hypocrisy. And, and if you're wondering what Jesus is getting at, that's good, because he's going to make it very clear. Look at verse 3. He, he says, what you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear of the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Jesus begins with a warning. And the warning is to guard against the sin of hypocrisy, deceits, false virtue. And he explains this warning by telling them that eventually the truth comes out. What is hypocrisy, right? It's false truth. It's living a lie. It's living as if something is real that it isn't. And eventually the truth comes out. And I think about my kids, right? We always tell our kids this, right? Eventually the truth comes out. Eventually mom and dad will find out. Eventually, right? Have you told your kids this before? When you were a kid, did your parents tell you this? And it's not just for kids. The truth comes out in all sorts of different places. I was reading an article recently. It was about retirement. Specifically, it was on research that was done on those who lived uh, to the golden age of 90 year older, right? Like, like Nona Grunseth. And, and, and they did some, some research on why um, people live that long and, and how we might understand how to have a better quality of life in those later years. And one of the studies found that the older that we get, the, the more that our healthy or unhealthy choices in the years when we were younger have an impact on the length and the quality of our life. Does that make sense? Uh, now, now, you're nodding, but nobody likes to talk about it, right? <laughs> like, like, we don't like to actually have to, to, to think about the fact that, that maybe some of the things that we did when we were 25 have an impact on our lives today. I mean, think of all the things that you could get away with when you were in your 20s, right? You could smoke, you could drink, you could live on Mountain Dew and cheeseburgers, you could never drink water, right? You have to drink how many ounces of water? Who cares, right? Who cares? Vitamins? Why would you waste money on vitamins, right? But the research says that the older we get those past decisions actually influence the quality of our life in the present. The, the bad habits that we had early on, they may have had no factor on our lives when we were younger, right? Isn't that crazy? Like, like I, I share Mountain Dew. I used to drink um, caffeinated soda all the time. I still drink coffee today, but, but I, can't, I can't even drink it now. <laughs> like it affects me today in ways that it just didn't affect me. You, you can beat yourself up when you're younger, but the research says that to some degree it will have an impact on your life when you are older. And, and, and as I read that and as I share it with you, it's like, man, should we just stop the sermon and go to the gym? <laughs> 
Like, Katie, Katie made cookies this morning. Maybe you should put those back, Katie. I don't know. Those of you who are online, you're a little bit safer this morning. I feel convicted, but I think about that feeling of conviction, and, and, and I think it could be related to the, the, the fear that Jesus is talking about in this passage as well, because, because what, is, what is the fear, right? Jesus says, don't be afraid, of what can take the body. Be afraid of the one who decides what happens when the inevitable happens to all of us, and that is that we will all someday pass away, no matter how healthy or unhealthy your choices may have been. There will come a day where the one who gets to choose will determine our admittance to heaven, the one will decide where we go when we pass away. The one is God. And Jesus says that being concerned, you should be more concerned about your relationship with him than you should be concerned about whether you need to leave church and go work out and, and all the other things that we might concern ourselves with. And that sounds very fire and brimstone. So Jesus says here is the relationship that the one who determines your eternity has with you. This is how he sees you. Verse 6, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Every time I read that, I always say it's not as impressive for me as it might be for you. Do not be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now, if I really break this down, and I'm honest, my fear about quality of life, and probably yours too, is mostly a fear of death, right? Death is really the common denominator in all of it. Um, if you're afraid of, of, of your quality of life right now, it's that, that we're afraid that we're going to run out of time to do the things in life that matter the most, to spend time with those around us that matter the most to us, or, or maybe our fear is rooted in not knowing what's going to happen when we die, and we're afraid of that, or, or maybe it's because we have a hunch of what is going to happen when we die, and our fear is that when we die, life will end, and it will be no more, and it will all be over, and that is, friends, what hell is. It's the place of the dead. It's being cut off from the source of life, which is God himself. And so how does this relate to hypocrisy? Well, Jesus says to be on guard against hypocrisy because hypocrisy is the yeast of death. By living a lie, it reminds us of all the ways that we don't measure up. If we live a hypocritical life, we are living a life telling the world something that is simply not true about ourselves. And not only are we lying to the world around us, but my guess is we're lying to make ourselves look better than we really are, which means that our lifestyle itself is reminding us of what we're not. Do you see what I'm saying? And, and, and even my, my 13-year-old this week, Jacob, he gets this. We were sitting at the dinner table. I don't even remember what we were talking about. And he said to, to us, he just came out with this statement. He said, he said, guys, you know, everybody lies. Everybody lies. 
And he said, I know it's wrong. I know we're not supposed to, but we all do it. And I wanted to correct him. <laughs> like that you hear that come out of your 13-year-old and you're like, eh, there's something that sounds wrong about it. And yet I didn't correct him because I knew that he was right. What is I supposed to say? Well, mom and dad never lie. We've never lied before, right? Are you laughing right now? You should laugh at that. That's a funny joke. He would have laughed if I said that. He, he's not saying that lying is good, but at 13 years of age, he already knows that we are wired, that we are born into this world to put on a mask, to tell a lie, to live out realities that are not true. Jesus says that that way of living is false, and like yeast, it rises up in us to death because we were never alive in the way that we're telling ourselves and others to begin with, which sounds terrible, right? Except that Jesus came to invite us into something better, didn't he? He came to invite us into a better, more honest way of life. He came to invite a different kind of yeast to grow in us. See, not every instance of scripture says that yeast is bad. If you turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, you'll see that there's another kind of yeast that is the yeast of heaven. It's the yeast that Peter is thinking about in 1 Peter 2, 1, when he says, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, same word, envy and slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. So if the yeast of death is hypocrisy and deceit, and sin, what is the yeast of heaven? The yeast of heaven is the presence of God. The yeast of heaven is total love. The yeast of heaven is Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All things that begin with a God that Jesus says loves you more than many sparrows. He loves you more than many sparrows and he is already holding your eternity secure in his hands. And so he looks out at this crowd of Black Friday shoppers that are trampling on one another and he says that if a sparrow is worth two pennies and you are worth infinitely more than many sparrows, then why are you fighting over how you spend your pennies? Why are you lying about how many pennies you have? Why are you worrying about whether the pennies you have will be enough? Because the bottom line is that, that we can't take any of that stuff with us, can we? And the promise of the gospel is that if we can start to begin to release what we can't take with us anyway, what wasn't ours to keep to begin with, it frees our hands to take hold of what has been ours from the very beginning, and that is the love of God. Let me summarize what we've learned so far. You got a huge Black Friday crowd. 
Jesus is teaching the disciples about yeast. He's warning them and us not to let the wrong things grow in us, but instead remember that God loves us so much that, that his presence, his love grows in us, grows up to salvation that we might taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you get it? Do you get it? Like, do you see where this is going? Because there's somebody in the crowd that doesn't get it. Let's take a look at verse 13. Same context, same crowd, same teaching. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Does that question sound a little out of context for what Jesus has been teaching us so far? Reminds me, of if you have young kids or you've ever had young kids or you've been a young kid, it reminds me of the proverbial situation that is real life so often. You're driving in the minivan, right? I shared a story about Sophie. She used to do this all the time when she was little, but they all do it. And you drive, you're driving somewhere and the kids say they're hungry and they say, can we get McDonald's for dinner? And you tell them no, right? And they, they don't take no for an answer, so they keep asking. So you put the issue to bed. You say, no, we're not going to McDonald's. We have leftovers at home. You ate McDonald's three times last week. Have you seen how expensive it is? You give them all these reasons. You put the thing to bed, and no sooner do you do that, but two minutes later, the other kid says, can we get chicken nuggets? <laughs> That's what's going on here. That's what's going on here. Jesus has just taught all of these principles and immediately they forget. And I think, oh my goodness, am I not the same thing? <laughs> do I not do that? I know God loves I mean, that's all I got to say, right? You come to church every week. I should stop writing sermons. God loves you. You can't do anything to earn it. Just release your control. Ask for forgiveness. It's your grace. It's given to you. He will take care of everything, right? That's it. I could say that every single Sunday and every single Sunday we would come back before God and go, but can I please have some chicken nuggets? Do we not do, we not do that, right? And Jesus has more patience than I do as a dad in that particular moment. And, and he gives some grace to this guy. And here's the reason why. Because I think, like yeast, he knows that sin has already clouded this man's judgment. And so he says in verse 14, this guy asks the question. Jesus replies, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, I just want to clarify something here because after a number of years of being in ministry, I've walked with people through this particular issue and I want to just be clear. Jesus is not suggesting in matters of justice like this that this particular issue is unimportant. Anybody who has ever been in a family conflict over inheritance, and if I asked you to show your hands, there'd be a number of you here. You've seen this, right? Anybody who's ever been in the midst of that, you know that it's important. But Jesus, being Jesus, knows after what he just taught and looking into the heart of this particular man, that for him, this was not a math problem. This was an issue of the heart, this was an issue for him that was deeper than the money. And to illustrate this, it says, verse 16, he tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. 
He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I shall do. I shall tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain to take up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now reading this in the context that we've studied so far, or with, I'm sorry, reading this without the context that we've studied so far, if you just read the parable, you might come to the conclusion that the bottom line here is that Jesus is saying that we should give our stuff away. That we shouldn't be so materialistic. And, and, and those are maybe good things to learn and to glean from. But I would say that they're secondary. Because in the context here, we see that this parable is teaching a brother who is asking a specific question. The consequences of what life looks like when we get caught up in the wrong things instead of the right things things. And we see that in that Jesus doesn't actually address the question that the man asks him at all. He asks him a specific question that has a specific answer, and that is, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. And that would have been a very simple question to answer. In, Old, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 21.17, the answer to the question is there. It is that the older son gets a double portion of the younger sons. And, and, and I know that math. You know why? Because I'm the older son in my family. And so I tell my siblings that if we were good Jewish people, this is how this thing would play out. And, and not only is it in the law and is it specific to them that this is how you would deal with a situation like this, but it would have been normal to go to a teacher of the law, a rabbi, to help settle something like this. And so, so Jesus, like most rabbis, like what they would have done, they would have had Deuteronomy memorized. They would have pulled out a calculator. They would have said, okay, well, what was dad's net worth and what did he leave to you? And they would have done the math and they would have settled the matter. But I saw some of you nodding your head when I said that this is an important issue. You've been caught up in this, haven't you? There's been situations where you've seen loved ones get torn apart over the fight over inheritance. And anybody who has been in that situation, or maybe you're in that situation right now, will tell you that this is not something that can just be calculated away. Sure, you can move on. But if you're not careful, you'll gain an inheritance and you'll lose a brother. You'll gain an inheritance and you'll lose a brother. And, and friends, that's what Jesus was warning these two men against. The yeast of hypocrisy and greed will grow in them to a place where they will be rich in money and poor in love and, and what does it matter if you have all the money in the world but no one to enjoy it with? Jesus is talking about your life being demanded of you, which, 
which certainly could be literal, right? He's, it's a parable. It's meant to make a point what happens if you save all this stuff up and you die. You can't. It's the joke, right? You can't write a check and take it with you where you're going. But I think it could also be figurative. Without the love of God and without the love of others, what's left to live for? Does anybody really want to be rich and alone? And friends, I don't want to ask that question of the parents whose kids are asking if they can go to McDonald's because that might sound really appealing in some particular moments. Well, if I won the lottery and I could live on an island all by myself, maybe that sounds good in a moment. But sooner or later, you will realize, mark my words, that that too can be a living hell. Because you can't take any of it with you to heaven. But you can take your brother with you to heaven. You can take your brother. And Jesus came to show us, and this concludes the whole series, the beauty of the gospel in every season is that the things in this world that matter the most are the things that are not confined to this world. Let me say that again. The beauty of the gospel in every season, is that the things in this world that matter the most are the things that are not confined to this world. And they are things that we can invest and live into now, the yeast of heaven that can grow in us starting today and will grow on in us forever, which is why Jesus goes on right after the parable to say this, and you've heard these words before, verse 22, he said to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Did you know this is all in the same place in the Gospel of Luke? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear, for life is not, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour of your life since you cannot do this very little thing? Why do you worry about the rest? Almost every time I read this passage in church, I remind you, it, was, it wasn't very long ago that we studied this and I shared with you the two birds that got stuck in my garage. Some of you remember that story? Two birds got stuck in my garage and I learned the reason that they got stuck is because they got fixated on the light on my garage door opener and they thought it was the sun. They thought it was the moon. They thought it was the light that would lead them out into nature where their needs would be met. And the only way to save their life was to turn it off that they might be attracted to the true light. And the sad part of the story is that one of them was so exhausted flying around the thing that doesn't matter at all that it died. But the one that caught eye of the light that does matter, the true light, the light that leads to life, that one survived. And that's the light that Jesus came to bring. If you look back at verse 19 of our reading, the, the man in the parable, I mean, you got to have a heart for him, right? We can judge him. 
He built all these big barns. If you look at it in front of you in your Bible, this is what it says. I don't have it up on the screen. He built all these big barns for a simple reason. Here was his reason. He wanted to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, how many of you want that? Show of hands. How many of you want retirement to look like that? Show of hands. We all want that future. Jesus came to say, don't wait. I am with you to offer you the rest that you desire right now. Don't wait until you're retired. Don't wait until all the decisions that you made in your 20s catch up with you. Don't wait until you have enough money in the bank. It doesn't matter if you have a barn or you live on a beach or you have a 401k. If you have a million dollars in the bank or nothing at all, none of it matters because those are not the things that are confined to, those are the things that are only confined to this world. And I want to leave you with the warning that that we are well into the season of the world where every day we wake up and we turn on our TV and we scroll through our phones and we walk through the stores and all of the messages are drawing us to focus ourselves on the things that we cannot take with us when we go. When the real reason for this season that we're entering into an Advent and Christmas is that the true light, the one thing that matters and draws us to the things of heaven right now came to us and he is with us now. And if that's true, then so are the words that he came to bring when he said, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And if that's true, sell your possessions. Give them to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fade. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Would you join me now as we pray?